Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Melanin Margin, the weekly chat show where conversations about race are never off the table. We're your hosts, Quavi Andre Williams. And Daquan Wilson. So let's get into this week's conversation. What's hot on the table this week? On the morning of February 2nd, Minneapolis police officers conducted a no-knock warrant within a, the span of nine seconds from the door being keyed into, police officers opened fire and fatally shot 22-year-old Amir Locke, who was asleep and wrapped up in a blanket. Officers entered the apartment yelling, get on the effing ground, kick the couch where Locke was sleeping, causing him to wake up, get kicked off of the couch, and the barrel of a handgun which Locke legally had the right to possess, was revealed before he was shot two times in the chest and one time in the wrist. Locke's name was not on the warrant. He was not the intended target of the raid, and Locke did not have a criminal record of any kind. Family attorney Jeff Storm stated, the city of Minneapolis told the public that it was limiting the use of no-knock warrants warrants to limit the likelihood of bad outcomes. Less than two years later, Amir Locke and his family needlessly suffered the worst possible outcome. Our city has to do better. Interim Minneapolis Police Chief Amelia Huffman confirmed that a criminal investigation is being conducted. So Andre, what the fuck? Do you think we'll be able to see justice? Honestly, no, I don't think so, because this is not the first time this has happened, and this is definitely not the last. It's so unfortunate that yet another Black life was lost. It's so unfortunate that this family has to deal with this kind of pain. And this is why it's it's so hard to talk about these kinds of things, because it's always a new story. It's always a new death and it's always over something so minuscule and oftentimes a mistake on the police's part. And I'm getting tired of this constant rotation we have of it's just bad apples. It's just some cups. And it's like the system as a whole is corrupt. We've talked about this before in our police brutality episode. And it frustrates me that even when we have these conversations, even when we discuss all of the things that could be done to fix this or to at least try to make some changes within the system, um, it doesn't get done. Police are still well-funded and people are still not held accountable because of the, if, if they're not popularized. Like if, if their death is not on social media trending or if they're not, you know, um, the top hashtag of the week, nobody hears about this. And so yet again, we're doing the same cycle of, well, it's not all police. Well, it's not all this. And well, the whole system shouldn't be defunded. And well, there are some good cops out there. And it's just, it is exhausting to have to hear about someone who looks like me being murdered yet again for something completely out of their control. And to think that you could just be sitting in your home resting and someone could just burst into your doors and murder you. And it goes back to that whole conversation about uh, the right to bear arms and all stuff like that. You know, as a black person, I am terrified of having a weapon in my house. All right. I'm terrified of carrying a weapon on my person, in my car, to just defend myself if I have to, because I don't know if this is the day I'm going to get pulled over. I don't know if this is the day that somebody might break into my house and the police come to try to stop that person, but because they see a black, per a black man in their eyes with a gun in their hand, automatically the person at fault. We're still dealing with this in 2022. And just because you put the little black squares in your Instagram, just because you say BLM in your bio doesn't change the fact that those are empty words. 
Right. There is not action in place. And even when there's action, we see that it doesn't really matter. We see that the city of Minneapolis said that they were going to limit no-knock warrants because things like this shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And yet it did. This comes less than two years after George Floyd by this very same police department was murdered. This comes less than two years after Breonna Taylor was murdered because of a no-knock warrant. And we are going through the same things despite everything that happened during the summer of 2020, when everybody was like, all right, a change is going to come. Mm -hmm. We're doing the damn thing. We're mm -hmm. making changes. We're making progress. And yet we're still having to deal with the same issues. Full transparency. I completely had a different topic for our first segment today, but I heard this, you know, just a few hours before we recorded this. And I knew that I could not do an episode without talking about this because these instances weigh heavily on us as Black people. It's something that, you know, you just can see yourself mm -hmm. in these victims. Mm -hmm. He was 22 years old. I am 23 to think that his life was cut so short for no reason. He had no criminal record. He was not the intended, you know, person for this raid. And yet he was shot three times. And I made the mistake of looking at the body cam footage that was leaked. And, you know, from my perspective, I didn't even see a barrel of a handgun and let alone it being pointed at somebody. They did not even give this man a chance to stand up. He was sleeping on a couch, got kicked off of it, and they shot him three times. This is what we mean by police brutality happens too much in this country. This is what we mean by these systems were not made to protect and serve Black people because we have to see this time and time Again, no matter how much they say they're going to change, no matter how much they say they're going to reform, that it will never happen again, that they're doing things and putting things in place, it happens. And I've talked about this before on the show, but I've had an experience with police coming into my apartment. And like, even now, I get so much anxiety just like with a door being, I have to, before I go to sleep, I got to check it. Is somebody outside of my door? Is my door locked? Do I hear noises outside? Sometimes that anxiety gets so bad that I physically have to barricade the door so I know that if anybody tries to come in, I will hear it and I will wake up and hope I can have just a few seconds to say something. But mm -hmm. the reality is that probably wouldn't happen. The span of this was nine seconds nine seconds and they made the decision to shoot somebody three times. And I think that we need to stop calling this bad outcomes. Like, I think we need to start with changing the narrative there also is, oh, this is just an unfortunate circumstance. It's a bad outcome. And it's like, no, call it what it is, honey. It's murder. It's murder. And maybe if we start saying that, and maybe if these statements in these uh, public, you know, um, co uh, conversations when people talk about it on the news and they talk about it in all these other places, start calling it what it is. These cops murdered this individual. That's what happened. And they have done so multiple times and many times before. And I want to clarify too, as exhausting as it is to keep talking about Black death, we will never stop. Never. Never. Because if we don't talk about it, no one will. And so, like I said, I think that it, it starts with changing that conversation. Start calling it what it is. And we are still seeing this in 2022. Every time you hear someone say, well, all lives matter. 
Well, well, if they just complied. Half the people that get killed by police don't even get the chance to comply. Right. Before the decision is made. People just driving a car. People just sleeping. They don't even have chance. Like, and just as Daquan said, nine seconds, in the span of nine seconds, these cops, these murderers, decided to end someone's life. That's what happened. And if you can and if you in this field can't discern what's going on, whether or not someone is actually a threat, whether or not um this person First of all, and let's, and let's go back to the whole idea of what is considered a threat because we are also aware of the fact that police are really not trained to handle these kinds of situations. Right. They're not, they're not trained to handle de-escalation. They're not trained to shoot to maim. They're trained to shoot to kill, always. And it's really crazy how, like I said, some white people or a, a, lot, of, a lot of white people are able to have guns, weapons, um, knowingly murdered people, like people who have held up schools and stuff like that, knowingly murdered someone and are able to be walked to the car, walked to the, uh, 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 able to stand trial. We don't even get that luxury Take of being able to stand a trial. Burger King. <laughs> we can't. It is just, it's people who have, who are classified as murderers, psychopaths, all that stuff. And they're able to be, Going to trial, they're able to stand trial against for their peers. Black people, not even a chance, not even an opportunity to explain themselves, to discuss what happened, to be like, hey, by the way, X, Y, and Z. And like I said, it goes back to, you know, just the privilege that some people walk in, like the idea of I would never leave my house without my driver's license. Never. Right. But I know several of my white friends who are like, oh, yeah, fuck that. I just forgot it. Just, I don't really care or whatever. Or like you said before, making sure that you double lock your door, making sure you're just like, okay, am I doing all the things? Making sure that, like I said before, I would never own a firearm. And of course you should have the right to do so. And yes, I do have the right to do so, but I never would, not because I don't want to protect myself or not because I don't want to use them, but because of the fact that if I had one, that gives the police yet another excuse to murder me. Right. But as if they needed one. As if they needed one, because being a being black is enough. Being black is being guilty, period. And that's how they see us. And this is why it's so important that we talk about, you know, what happens when these things happen. We talk about why these systems are so racist mm -hmm. because they teach people that black people are a threat that black people are just naturally aggressive, that they're dangerous, that black neighborhoods are the bad neighborhoods. They're dangerous, you don't wanna go there. Oh, you see a black person wearing a hoodie? Go to the other side of the street. They might mug you. They teach, we are ingrained from a very young age, the racist ways of our society. And it's time for a change. Who knows when that change will come, but frankly, I am tired of being able to just log on to social media to try to just get away. And then I'm bombarded with a news story like this. And so I also wanna say, when this is happening, please, please, please be careful about how you post about things like this, because you never know what somebody is going through. So give a trigger warning. Do not put up a video of the body cam footage and let somebody see a black person get shot. Exactly. I wanted to ask you too, do you think we'll see justice? I'm not hopeful. Just to be frank, I am not hopeful. I think that we had one luck. We had luck one time and we see how that went and how we got right back to it. Even comparing it to a similar case with Rihanna Taylor, we didn't see justice in that case. So mm -hmm. even now they're trying to make it, oh, he reached for the gun. 
therefore it was a threat. He pointed the gun at the officer, therefore it was a threat. Yet still, there's so many different footage from different perspectives that aren't aligning. So who knows the full story? And who knows if we'll even get the true story? Yes. Now, at least 14 historically Black colleges and universities across the country, unfortunately, began Black History Month under lockdown after receiving bomb threats. These HBCUs include Coppin State University, Jackson State University, Mississippi Valley State University, and others. These threats, as Howard University Police Chief Marcus Lies states, have become a drain on institutional and municipal resources and an unnecessary mental burden on individuals trying to learn and work on our campus. The White House, along with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, says that they are taking these threats seriously and are investigating the situation. U.S. Educational Secretary Miguel Cardona stated in, in a tweet, my team will continue to work with students, faculty, and alumni to make sure that HBCUs continue to be a safe space for students to learn. Now, where the origin of these threats have yet not been assessed by the White House, Police Chief Jakari Young stated that in Daytona Beach, the person who called the bomb threat claimed to be affiliated with a neo-Nazi organization. So, Daquan, do you think that these threats were part of a strategic and intentional plot? Absolutely, because this is proof that racism is still alive and well in our country. The same racism we saw during slavery, the same racism we saw during Jim Crow, the same racism we saw during the Red Summer of 1919, the same racism we saw in Tulsa where they burned down Black Wall Street. The same racism we see every time our people are left for dead in the streets by the weight of injustice and we have the nerve to call it out. You expect me to believe that 14 HBCUs receiving bomb threats on the first day of Black History Month was anything but strategic and intentional in a country where white supremacists raided the White House because their racist leader lost? Bullshit. Black success is a threat to white supremacy. And these right, white supremacists would do anything to tear it down. 100%. I think that I can, I can honestly answer this question with one word. Uh, well, excuse me, two words. Stand by. Is that not what Donald Trump said to white supremacists? Is that not what he let them know? It's, <laughs> the sad part is this is not baffling to me. This is not surprising to me. This is not, oh, um, oh my God, you know, this is so crazy. This, this I didn't, I couldn't possibly have seen this coming. No, I, I did, I did. And it's, because of the fact that we know that racism, white supremacy, it's the fabric of our American society, most of human society. You know, we have, white people have put themselves up so high that everything else is but dirt underneath their, their feet. And every other race is just something to play, a plaything, an accessory. And, right. The fact that these threats all happen on the same day lets us know that these terrorist organizations, these white supremacist neo-Nazi organizations. Because call it what it is, terrorists. Because call it exactly what it is, um, are in communication with each other. They are all having conversations. They are all making these, um, making headway. And it's not as it's not that hard for them to. That's that's the craziest part to me is that as much as we're able to see um, when somebody might uh, make a, 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 a some kind of bomb or some kind of crazy thing like that or whatever, as much as the CIA and the whatever whatever are able to tap into phone lines and tap into these things, this lets me know that this is 
more than just a few racist people. This lets me know very clear this clearly that this is more than just, you know, somebody who's like, oh, I just don't like black people. Or, oh, I don't just fuck with black people. No, these are strategic. These are very well thought out plans. Well thought out plans. And I think that we need to stop like um, infantilizing people who are racist or these are people who, oh, they just don't know. They just don't know. They're not aware. There is way too much information in our society, way too much access, way too much access for people to still act as if they don't understand racism. If right. people, grown ass men and women are still racist, it's because they're willfully ignorant. Or let me make it very clear. It's because they want to give up their power. Because why would you? If you're at the top of the game, why would you share? Especially with something that you don't relate to or understand. Right. And I think that when I heard about this story, my heart just ached. Because even though I didn't go to an HBCU, I have a lot of family members that did or are currently going through it. I have a lot of friends who went to an HBCU or are currently going through it. And I know just how hard college can be. Mm -hmm. But to imagine going to college and being terrorized like this, the cost that that will have on your mental health, you may be the first generation to go to college. You're just trying to get an education, get a good job, and just like do something good for your family and for your community. And you're terrorized like this. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely disgusting. And it's tiring because these students are going through the same things that their parents went through, that mm -hmm. their grandparents went through, that generations after generations of Black people in this country have gone through white terrorism. And I think that it's so insidious in the fact that these are supposed to be safe spaces for Black people. Right. These are spaces that we created for ourselves to help uplift each other. And white people, again, like you said before, Black Wall Street, all these, all these things that we have tried, every time we try to get ahead, white people find a way to tear us down or break our spirit. Every time. Every single time. And it's just, I think that also to our white allies or um, to the people who are trying to be anti-racist, understand that when Black people create safe spaces, it's best to stay out of them, even if you are an ally. Because these, unfortunately, no matter how anti-racist you may believe yourself to be, as a white person, you benefit from white supremacy. There are things that no matter how much research you do, you just will not understand. You will not right. understand the fear of a Black person having to um, walk past um, a group of police officers. You'll never understand the fear of being pulled over and having to make sure that you have your phone recording. You will never understand the fear of just being Black in America. You will never understand that. So when Black people create a safe space for other Black people, or when POC people as a whole create safe spaces to discuss being a POC person in America, get the fuck out of the way. Say that again. Like, get out of the way. Let us have that because at the end of the day, as much as you, the best thing that you can do is to mind your fucking business. And, and, and the best thing you can do is to understand that you are not entitled to this space. And that's mm. where a lot of that white supremacist values and that white privilege comes from. Because white people are not used to being told they can't exist in a space. Because they exist in every space. Right. So like I said, in this case, these are safe spaces for Black people, and these spaces are being targeted by white supremacists. And the fact that it all happened on the same day and it all happened under the, uh, under the same um, organization, it's very telling of the fact that we have not made as much progress as we said we did. Because this is giving very much so Ruby, Ruby Bridges. It's giving very much so, oh, y'all going to have your safe space. We're going to make sure you feel unsafe in that space. We want, we want to make sure you know that your Black space, your Black excellence is unwanted here. Right. That's what it's giving. EGOT winner and co-host of The View, Whoopi Goldberg, was recently suspended from The View for two weeks following comments she made regarding the Holocaust. 
On the show, Goldberg stated, quote, let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. It's not about race. It's about man's inhumanity to man, end quote. Viewers took offense to her comments, including CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, who wrote, quote, the Holocaust was about Nazi systematic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race, end quote. Goldberg released an apology on social media and on air the following day stated, quote, words matter and mine are no exception. I regret my comments as I said, and I stand corrected. I also stand with the Jewish people as they know and as you all know, because I've always done that, end quote. Despite the apology, apology, ABC News President Kim Godwin released a statement writing, quote, effective immediately, I am suspending Whoopi Goldberg for two weeks for her wrong and hurtful comments. While Whoopi has apologized, I've asked her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments. The entire ABC News organization stands in solidarity with our Jewish colleagues, friends, family, and communities." End quote. Andre, was Goldberg wrong in her comments? And do you think the suspension was justified? I think that Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg was absolutely wrong with what she said. I, I completely agree with that, is that there was absolutely every problem with what she said, because it was giving very much so all lives matter. Or it's, it, it's, it, I had to really take a step back on this, because at first I was, I was heated, I was furious. But I had to take a step back and I was like, if a white person had said the same thing, but used the term, well, if, well, slavery wasn't about race. It was about man's humanity to man. No, let's call, let's call it what it is. It was mm -hmm. about race. So I absolutely agree that Whoopi Goldberg's statements were wrong. And I believe that they, she definitely owed an apology to the Jewish community. So I want to, I want to clarify that right there. Um, right. The reaction though, the suspension, not at all. Um, I think that I, it really harkens back to what Amanda Seals said um, way back when on the on the um, what is it called on the reel where she said, "Why is it that black people are the ones having to be made an example out of? Mm. Why does it start with us? Why are we the ones that have to be the standard as far as punishment goes?" And I think for the suspension for her to reflect, I think that Whoopi Goldberg as a black woman, once she educated herself, was able to understand why she fucked up. So the fact that this white man, let's be real, that's probably that's we know that we know that that's probably what it was, said, we need you to reflect. We don't think that you apologizing twice was enough. We needed to reflect on what you said because it was bad. And it's like instead of using this as an opportunity to maybe have people come onto the show and talk about the Holocaust, maybe use this as an opportunity to spotlight, you know, um, Holocaust survivors and educate people, you chose to suspend someone and tell them to, as in putting you in timeout. And it's like, mm -hmm. what, what does, it fails to for me to understand what the what is, what is that supposed to accomplish, and for me it just it really does hark it does really feel like they're trying to check her, and it's like she's already been checked by the people who she hurt, she's already been checked by the people who um, she made the comments about, and the fact that so many other white professionals are able to have just the one apology and no, and sometimes not even real accountability for their statements and are able to just skate by like it's nothing and white people say, oh, just accept their apology. Just, just accept it, it's over, it's whatever. Like Shane Dawson, for example, who takes no accountability for what he has done, who takes no accountability for what he has said and just, oh, mental health. Uh -huh. 
But Whippy Goldberg clarified and stated, yes, I fucked up. I said what I said and it was wrong. And I understand that now. And I do apologize for that. The fact that they felt they had to go to the extra mile doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, there's there's something a little fishy about it. But I completely agree that in this statement, Whoopi was wrong. 100% just like factually wrong. Yeah. When we think about, <laughs> you know, Jewish people across the world, I think that this is not to defend Whoopi, but I think no. that this viewpoint came from a very just like modern and American viewing of race. Exactly. Like, oh, you know, it's not about race, but race is a social construct. Exactly. And with that means depending on whatever time it was, race can be constructed different. see Jewish people as a race during the Holocaust. They saw them as an inferior race because they said that they can just go into somebody's home and look at them and figure out if they're Jewish and send them to a concentration camp. It doesn't matter if you are practicing a, the religion actively or not, because even if your great-grandfather was practicing a practicing Jewish person, you are still Jewish. And therefore, mm -hmm. it's in your blood. Mm -hmm. And so factually speaking, Whoopi Goldberg was wrong. And even just like the sentiment behind it, oh, it's not about race, it's men's inhumanity to man. Just like, I think that that also comes from a place where people just love comparing things to the Holocaust. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, because I think the conversation came out of this book that was banned that was talking about the Holocaust. I think it's Mouse. Um, and the conversation was kind of flowing about other banned books like To Kill a Mockingbird and, you know, comparing it to like racism. And that's how it, it got brought up. And it's just like, the Holocaust was a horrendous thing, period. There's, there's no need to compare it to anything else because it's just a horrendous, act and so i think that in terms of is the suspension justified this is not a take that i would usually have but i think it was mm -hmm. only in the sense that when you say something horrific there should be action with the apology whether that's you yes. apologize and you say i'm doing x y and z to you know deal with my actions what i said or i am taking this mo i am taking the action myself to deplatform myself for a while reflect learn i think that there needs to be action behind it so i do think that the two weeks suspension fine however i want the same energy going forward I want the same energy for every Meghan McCain comment, for yeah. every other problematic comment that gets said on a show, because let's be honest, so many problematic things have been said. So I'm not trying to minimize how problematic this action was because yeah. it was problematic and the you know, judgment was justified. But I wanna make sure that this is a precedent that keeps going forward. And that's my reason for for saying that it wasn't justified, because I feel like it again feels like we're starting with a black person versus starting with the people who have always been the issue, you know. And I want to clarify something too. I just researched it. I just googled Kim Goodwin, the person, the ABC executive, is a black woman who made this decision, which also changes the narrative for me a little bit differently as well. So look at us educating ourselves in the middle of the episode. Um, but. Yeah, I, I noted that, but I also think that, like, we can't just say that this was her decision by herself. There's yeah. probably other people in the Exactly. Board. But it does feel, it does come from a different place when it is someone who looks like you, who's made the decision mm -hmm. as well. So I think that if it was Kim, now, now looking at it from this perspective, with a Black woman being one of the main people who had made this decision, um, 
it does feel more, it feels more like you said before, trying to set a precedent. And so it's saying that should this happen again, this is what's going to happen. And this is going to be the actionable um, offense. But I also wonder how long has Kim Goodwin been the ABC executive and all the things that Meghan McCain has said and all these things, like has she been there long enough to have also used that same precedent for those other statements that have been made? That's, right. it, it just, it really, it's really a very complicated topic because like I said before, in the situation, while I do, while I do understand the idea of having an actionable punishment for saying something like this, I also think that the idea of using Whoopi as the, sac the, the, the starting point of this new narrative, it just, it gives very much so, like I said before, this, we're starting with, like with Amanda Seal's sentiment, we're starting with Black women, we're starting with a Black person to start yeah. having these actionable um, consequences. That's, for me, that is the whole, the sole reason as to why I think it wasn't justified because it feels very much so the energy of, we're going to start with Black people as the person that we're going to put all the things, going back to the Jesse Smollett situation where they're going to throw the, throw the book at him. And it's like, you're throwing the book at him, but you haven't thrown the book at Karens all across the world who have called the police for no reason at all. You're throwing the book at Whoopi, once again, not saying that the book shouldn't have been thrown. Not saying the book shouldn't have been thrown, but we are not seeing those same actionable punishments for every single person who has done that or every single person yeah. who has made a offensive remark. Does that make sense there? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And for clarity, Kim Godwin became uh, president in April of 2021. Okay, so this is new. So, okay, so she just started. Okay, so again, mm -hmm. that, adds another that adds another layer to it too. So, but yeah, like I said, it's it's very much so, it's, it frustrates me that now is the time that we're starting to give people the proper punishments for their actions. And it frustrates me that people like Shane Dawson, Jeffree Star, and you know, so on and so forth, have these big, massive platforms and have had no kind of um, actionable punishment for their statements and for the things that they've done. I mean, Shane Dawson has done full-on blackface on YouTube and YouTube has not demonetized him. You know, Jeffree Star has had several, several things. And, and like I said before, neither... The thing that frustrates me about this also is the fact that Whoopi acknowledged what she said was wrong. Whoopi acknowledged mm -hmm. that there is no excuse for what she said. She didn't, she didn't say, my mental health... Way. Mm. I just, I didn't know. She acknowledged the fact that I fucked up and I didn't understand clearly what I was saying until I had said it. it. It does not excuse what I have said. And also clarifying about the, uh, specifying two Jewish people. So it also gives, like I said, it just, it feels like, you know, again, everyone is saying, oh, we need to add, um, another layer. We, we need, she needs more punishment, more punishment because of this X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I want you to keep that same energy all around. I just don't want it. Yeah. To, I don't want black women and black men to have to be the starting point for punishments like this. Let's make this the standard. So if we're going to punish Whoopi, that's fine. If you're going to suspend because of those comments, that's fine. I want. I better see that same energy if anybody else at the motherfucking panel fucks up too. That's all the right. fuck I'm saying. <laughs> now the table is always hot with current events and social issues, but sometimes. The heat can get a little intense. Let's turn the temp down, take a breather, and get into this week's topic cool down. Andre, what do you have for us? So I wanted to ask you, Daquan, is it ever a good idea to get involved with a DL man? Quote unquote. No. <laughs> Don't do listen this. <laughs> If you are a young gay listening to this, think of me as like your older brother. Don't do it. Don't do that shit. I, I think that, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, if you want to, you want to or whatever. But I think that it's a situation where the kind of baseline, the neutral is getting hurt in some way, if that makes any sense. Because I think a lot of times when you are interacting with a DL person, you know, they're just trying to get it and go. And like, sometimes that's 
the, you know, that's the agreement. You both understand that. But I also think sometimes, you know, feelings can get involved and you're setting yourself up for failure. But also in general, that just comes with so much different pressures. Like, it's so annoying. Like, it's more than anything, it's annoying because you always have to be like, okay, nobody saw me come in. Like, stop playing. Nobody's going to hear us. It's like, I, you, you want to make sure I'm not like recording or anything. Like, I'm not. There's just like all of these different things that come with it because they're still trying to hide at it from all of society. And it's also a situation where a lot of times they'll take out their frustrations on you. They'll take out their internalized homophobia on you. And so that's why I think a lot of times it is kind of setting yourself up for failure. Honestly, I agree. And I think if you can't love me in the light of day, you will not take pleasure in me at night. And honestly, I want to make this very clear to any baby gay out there who's listening. It will never happen. It will never happen. And we've sold this narrative time and time again on TV shows and movies that the straight guy, the straight football player, the straight whatever is going to suddenly realize that, you know, he loves you and he wants to be with you and he's ready to come out to the school. And No, bitch, that's not real life. It's not it's real not, life. It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. It's called tell vision. Um, that's what my, <laughs> some my mom used to tell me. tell vision. Um, and I think that you have to understand that this isn't just about or oh, whether or not he'll come, uh, whether or not he'll come out for you, or whatever the case may be. Even just sleeping with a DL man, you risk getting killed, literally murdered. You're risking your life for a man who does not care enough right. about you to love you in the light of day. And I think it's really a big problem because once you've once you've established and are confident in yourself as a gay person, once you have come out of the closet as a trans person or whatever, and you've, and you've stood in that and you're like, this is who I am, I accept this, I am happy to be who I am, fuck the world. And you date someone who is not in that position, you're going back in the closet. Right back in. And I think it's such a big problem when you also see people try to force other people out of the closet too. The way mm -hmm. I make this very clear with the people that I date is that I am nobody's secret. I am nobody's um, midnight call. That's just not the kind of bitch I am. Never have been, never will be. And the reason that that is, is because it is not my place to help you come out. I'm not going to do that. Not I'm just all. not. I think that it is a personal experience because let's be real. A lot of these DL men are in unsafe spaces. They are in mm -hmm. places where they might get beat up or their parents might put them out or all these other things you're talking about in high school and stuff like that. You know, there's so many disowned by your family or whatever the case may be. So there are some real legit reasons why people are on the DL. But what I am trying to explain to you is, is that it is not your place, nor is it your, or nor do you have some magic penis um, that's going to suddenly make this DL man, um, risk everything to be with you right. and why would you want that in my opinion like why would you want someone that you couldn't hold their hand if the mood struck why couldn't why wouldn't you want someone who's going to who's going to um let you meet their friends or their chosen family you know what i'm saying why would you not want someone you can't lean on when you want to in public or whatever because you're just there because they're afraid of getting caught or having someone notice them or see them or you just want to simply share them on on the media on, on social media and, and let and god forbid even you want to marry someone one day and you're dating someone and like there have been people who i know um not personally but that i've read about who have been in relationships with dl men for literally years who have full wives and girlfriends and all this stuff. And it's like, they keep thinking, well, one day he'll come for me. One day he'll come out to me. And this one person said, this one person story that I read about, they said that once they asked like, what we're going to do, they have been dating this person for 10 years. And they said, what are you going to do? Like, what are we doing here? And the guy came back the next day and tried to murder him to hide their relationship. Wow. The... Best scenario in a DL situation 
is that he'll leave and he'll never you'll never have to hear hear about him again but the worst case scenario is losing your life over some dick right and let's be honest <laughs> i think that's you know i think that it is an interesting conversation to have about like what is the obsession with dl men and i think that it comes from this place of you know queer people aren't able to visibly show romance in the same way that straight people are. Yeah. Queer people don't see romance in the same way that straight people do. Yeah. You can see all different types of love stories for yeah. straight couples, but the few queer ones, a lot of them are that, you know, one person and they're, you know, hooking up with a DL football player or whatever. And I also want to make this clear. I have a clear divide between being closeted and being DL. Somebody oh, okay. who's closeted is somebody they haven't really accepted it yet. They're still waiting to come out. But I think that somebody who is DL, they know, they fully know, but they're doing everything in their power to make sure nobody else knows. They're getting into relationship with women and keeping you on the side. They're spouting all of this homophobic rhetoric so that other people know I'm not with that gay shit. And so that's like that clear divide that I see between closeted and DL. And which is why I say that the baseline is getting yourself hurt because it's all different types of, you know, toxic um, internalized homophobia going on. And I think there's another nuance to this conversation, too, about the idea, the reason why a lot of gay men are interested in quote-unquote straight men or DL men is because they like the idea of turning someone. And I don't know where the fuck that comes from, but let's be 100% honest, honey. You can't turn a man, you can't turn a straight man gay. That's just not possible. It's not a thing. It's never been a thing. If, if a quote-unquote straight man is interested in you, then he was never straight to begin with. He's a part of the mm -hmm. queer community in some degree or level. Just like bisexuality is in levels and degrees, it's kind of like that. Now, whether or not somebody wants to accept that or not is neither here nor there. But you cannot turn someone. That's, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. And I think there's also this inter internalized homophobia within the gay community where it's like, I want a man-man. I want a man who acts like a man. And I'm not even going to front on you. When I was younger, that was my ideology as well, which got right. my fucking feelings hurt. But it's it, it, it's crazy because we've been trained to feel like, well, I, what is it like? What is the saying? Oh, yeah. um, I like I like men who act like men. I like men. If I wanted to date somebody who was feminine, I would date a girl. You know what I'm kind of thing? And that's another yeah. whole thing, too. But it's like this idea of you have you want to date someone who identify or look straight or act straight and why would you want that why like what is that what about that is exciting what about that is is, is thrilling and like i said as a kid it's one thing as a grown-ass person no like that's just not it and i've had to kind of unpack that myself over the years as a as a teenager as an, as, as i come into my adulthood of like what is it about a feminine gay person that is unattractive what about that is a problem? Oh, because they wear makeup, because they do drag, or because they, you know, uh, uh, talk kind of like me. Like, what is the problem with that? And I had to realize that's internalized homophobia because you're seeing what's reflected in you and you don't like it as well. Even though right. you might accept yourself, you don't accept it in other people. And that's a problem. But that's, it's a cool down. So I'm not... So we're not we, going to get into it we're not, we're not that's warming up we're warming back up we need we're to warming back up so so now so many children grow up never knowing the full scope of what their culture has contributed to society and history so it's time for a change let's take a pause rewind and remind the world just how we did that now, Alvin Ailey was an acclaimed dancer and choreographer who earned global recognition for his impact on modern dance. After honing his technique at the Lester Horton Dance Theater and acting as its director until its 1954 disbandment, 
Ailey wished to choreograph his own ballets and works that differed from the traditional pieces of the time. This inspired him to start the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in 1958, a multiracial troupe that provided a platform for talented Black dancers that traveled around the world. Now, his most popular piece, Revelations, is an ode to Southern Black church. Now, Ailey died of AIDS-related complications at 58, but the company still exists today in New York City. Black people. <laughs> Black people in the world of dance. Amazing. Her. Andre Leon Talley is probably one of the most recognized Black people in the fashion world. Talley was raised by his grandmother, whom he credits much of his fashion flair to. As a teenager, he found him found and fell in love with Vogue after finding a magazine in the library. He got his bachelor's degree from North Carolina Central University and a master's in French at Brown University. He started his fashion career as an assistant for Andy Warhol and went on to become the editor-at-large at Vogue in 1983, where he served for three decades. He constantly fought for diversity in fashion, criticized high-profile designers who excluded models of color, and served as a mentor for many PLCs in the fashion industry, including Laquan Smith, Jason Wu, and Naomi Campbell. Tally has served as a fashion advisor for the Obamas, styled Michelle and Serena Michelle Obama and Serena Williams, was a board member for SCAD, and was one of the 50 most powerful gay men and women in America. Tally passed this past January due to complications from COVID and a heart attack. I mean, melanin magic. <laughs> just, melanin. Just, it's beautiful. It's, ah, like, it's just delicious. Like, we just stay fucking the game up. Right. Like, we love Black queer people, too. Black queer people. Motherfucking purr. Like, anyway. <laughs> As always, thank you all so much for watching and keep the conversation going down in the comment box below. Don't forget to give this video a thumbs up. And if you are listening to us on our podcast, please rate and review on whatever platform you're using. You can also follow our podcast on Instagram and TikTok at The Melanin Margin for updates of new content. And... If you'd like to follow each of us, our handles are at Daquan M-U-E and at Andre Talks A Lot. Now, we'll see you all next week on the Melanin Margin, where our goal is always to bring the marginalized to the spotlight in any way we can. <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs>